Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the creatively titled Jordan Harbinger Show. And if you want to learn how to sell without selling, check out the Sell Without Selling podcast with my friend Stacey O'Byrne. If you're ready to get out of your own way to follow the seven-figure science of success, then welcome to Sell Without Selling. Tune in with renowned international speaker Stacey O'Byrne as she shows you how mastering relationships, achieving the proper mindset, and attaining the necessary motivation will catapult you away from failure and onto your journey to greatness. And now, here is your host, Stacey O'Byrne. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sell Without Selling. I'm your host, Stacey O'Byrne, and I believe that learning the art and the science of how to sell without selling is the only way to achieve high six and seven figure success. I'm really excited to get into today's episode. And really quick, if you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or sales professional, and you haven't hit the level of success that you've wanted or needed, or if you're stuck and needing a pivot in your business and your success, or maybe you just want more and you understand the importance of having a coach to help identify the blind spots, increase accountability, and help with success strategies to take you, your business, your income, and your success to the next level. If this sounds like something for you, then head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash I want success. There's a quick application there that will lead to a personal phone call with me to see if we're a great fit for each other. All right, let's do this. Jordan Harbinger is a Wall Street lawyer turned podcast interviewer with an approachable style and knack for securing high profile guests. His show, The Jordan Harbinger Show, was selected as part of Apple's Best of 2018, and I am so blessed to have him as a guest on my show. He's known as the lawyer that would never be. Hailing from Michigan, Jordan was an inquisitive kid who was fascinated by the internet at an early age. He went to law school at the University of Michigan and landed a job on Wall Street as a corporate lawyer. Jordan wasn't interested in climbing the corporate ladder, but he was curious about a partner who was never in the office. Dave spent his days of charity events and playing racquetball. Jordan often wondered how he ever kept his job. Jordan discovered a secret third path. Dave told Jordan that he brought in business for the firm. To do that, he didn't sit at his desk. He spent his time building and managing personal relationships. After hard work and intelligence, Jordan felt like he was learning a secret third path that nobody ever talked about. This kicked off an obsession with body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, influence, social psychology, and networking. When he started uploading what he learned to the web, he inadvertently became one of the first podcasters. Today, The Jordan Harbinger Show has over 11 million downloads per month and features a wide array of guests like Kobe Bryant, Dennis Rodman, Tony Hawk, Caesar Milan. The names go on and on. 
Jordan continues to teach his skills for free at Six Minute Networking. In addition to hosting the Jordan Harbinger Show, Jordan is a consultant for law enforcement, military, and security companies, and is a member of the Northern California chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. I am beyond excited for you to hear my conversation with Jordan. We share a lot of a similar background as far as our education and our studies and our focus on really helping entrepreneurs and business owners really take their life and their business to the next level. He's an amazing man, an incredible guy, and I'm really excited for you to hear what he has to say. Hey, Jordan, thanks so much for joining us today. I know how busy you are, and I appreciate you setting aside time to have a conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Of course. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I think it's going to be a fun one. So, Jordan, I'd like for our listeners to get to know you if they already don't, but with the number of downloads that you have, that's probably that's probably highly impossible. <laughs> so, so how did you get into this entrepreneurism? Where did it all start for you? So for me, the the reason that I became an entrepreneur, first of all, nobody even called it entrepreneur uh, back when I started. It was, I mean, the word existed, obviously, but nobody was really using it like they are now. I used to be an attorney. I worked on Wall Street and I thought, okay, you know, well, let me back up the truck a little bit. When I was in high school, I was the kid who could like roll into the geometry test and sort of figure it out yeah. 15 minutes before the test, take the test, get a B or a B plus, And I was like, I'm fine. You know, C's get degrees, man. And then, uh, and then when I was in college, I realized, uh Oh, everyone is kind of that level of smart or much smarter. In many cases, mm -hmm. I can't do that anymore. So I, started to work a lot harder and I thought, okay, at least I can outwork these people. But then I got to wall street as a lawyer and it was like, everyone here is really smart and everyone here is willing to work 16 hour days, seven days a week and, and plus travel or whatever it is. And I thought, uh Oh, my competitive advantage is gone. I can't make myself smarter. So that's, that's out, mm -hmm. right? I can't work 21 hours a day instead of 20. That's not physically possible really. And you're never really going to be hungrier than the person who's there from Bulgaria and whose family is still stuck there. And they're like, if I work more and make partner, I can afford to bring them to the United States. Like those people are working 21 hours a day because they have a, a why. Whereas when I'm 26 and I'm like, so I get paid the same, whether I stay here all weekend or not, you know, no thanks. So I realized I was in trouble. And one of the partners who was never in the office, he told me that the best thing to do to make partner is to, to bring in business for the firm. And I thought, okay, cool. How do I do that? And he's like, well, you know, you got to network and just be cool, man, create connections. And I was like, okay, just be cool. Um, I don't know how to tell you this. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. I'm not going to just be cool. If I could have just been cool, I would have started that shit in middle school. Like I just be cool is not something that was ever in my repertoire. So it's not going to start now at age 27 while working as an attorney on wall street and finance. Okay. Yep. So I was like, I'm screwed. And what I realized is I need to learn networking and relationship development. And I started taking courses about sales and about relationship development and networking. But the problem is those courses, and you know this from your days in corporate America, I'm sure you bring in a sales trainer. It's like some guy in a sweater vest and like, yeah. you know, he teaches part time at the learning annex on Tuesday nights and you go, is this the guy who knows anything about bringing in a $4 million deal from Goldman Sachs? Or is no. this a guy who knows how to remember people's names at a cocktail party and that's it? Right. 
been there, so, done that. And yeah, and and not but not like everyone who teaches sales or networking is is bad, but it's just not going to be nuanced at the level of the very very top, which is like bringing in a million dollar deal. Because if they could do it, law firms would just hire those people. And those people would be loaded and they wouldn't be teaching at the YMCA on Thursdays. Yeah. So it just didn't make any sense. And so I realized I had to start breaking this stuff down myself. And I started studying, like you, I started studying things like NLP and psychology and persuasion and influence, which has a lot to do with some of the stuff that you know and that you talk about. And that turned out to be a massive what would you call it, like a soft skills gap? Because you get these really brilliant people who are very smart and really hardworking, but they're not great at developing and maintaining relationships and then using those and leveraging. It's called selling. I don't know if you've heard of it. They're not good at selling. <laughs> you know, they're not good at it at all. And they these are the same people who think that salespeople are bad and these are finance lawyers. So you're like, well, pot, meat, kettle, right? Yeah. Um, but, but like, yeah. these are the people that that say things like, I don't want to be salesy because they only know what used car salesman salesy is like. They don't see the effective, as you know, effective sales is invisible mm -hmm. because it's if it's really good and you think, I this per Stacy's cool. I like her. I'm gonna give her the business because then we'll get a chance to hang out and I trust her. That's invisible sales. Whereas the sales that everyone thinks is sales and they don't want any part of is the guy who says act right now we're practically giving them away down here at harbinger ford on the corner of you know gratiot avenue i'm practically giving them away and he's got a cowboy hat on you know shooting his cap gun in the air on the commercial yeah. like those are the things that we think i'm never going to be that guy yeah. so i focused on those soft skills and and that turned out to be a big a big that that was really a huge advantage because then basically any business that I started was going to succeed and I didn't know it at the time mm -hmm. but once I started once once the economy tanked in 2008 then I was able to start or continue what I was doing at the time which was my podcast and then that sort of started me into the entrepreneurial world because when the economy tanked I was doing real estate finance law and they said, we're not going to have any work for you. We'll pay you for the next nine months, full benefits and salary, find a new job. And it was like, do I want to find a new job that I also don't want to do? Or do I want to just take a chance and do my own thing? And I had buddies that were like, I'm going to do the music thing. We're in our twenties. It's our last chance. And I was like, well, you do the music thing. Maybe this entrepreneur run your own business is my music thing. And it kind of was right. It was like, Now's the time. When you're 40, you're not going to be able to do it. You're not going to have the guts. And I'm really glad that I took the leap for, you know, forcing function, getting laid off from the, the firm because of the economy. I'm glad I took the leap because I can't imagine being employed right now for a corporation, having had a steady paycheck for the last 20 years or something or 15 plus years, and then going, I'm going to do my own thing. I would just, it would be too scary. But when you're 27 and you don't know that it's scary and you just think, whatever, I'll always land on my feet. Yeah. then it's 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 less terrifying somehow no no absolutely you know when when i got laid off after 9 11 for me it was it was jumping off the cliff and becoming a massively reluctant entrepreneur because let's face it i got my bs and bm at san diego state and it really was a bunch of bs and bm because <laughs> i just learned book smarts about business sure and it really didn't teach me anything about this world of entrepreneurism for me, I was really good at sales, really good at leadership and really good at communication. 
my problem was I had nothing to sell, no one to talk to and no one to leave. So I really navigated this, this pull of entrepreneurism very painfully. I, you know, we jokingly refer to it as the million dollar PhD. And for me, it was because, you know, we've talked about my, my story about how I had a business partner that uh, did some pretty unethical things. He left me with 16 cents in the bank, turned around and sued me the next day, spent four and a half years in court defending myself. And, and for me, it was, as you referenced it, those soft skills that helped me move through things and navigate the waters of uncertainty because I knew all along that I controlled my destiny. So, so I'm really curious, uh, you know, you, you brought up three great points, having soft skills. I reference it as in order for the outer to work, you have to do the inner work. And it's the understanding of self that helps you, that helps you understand people. The, this invisible sales thing, to me, that, that's the foundation of selling without selling. You're actually selling by lead pace and following your perspective client. However, it's all relational, it's all educational, it's all communication, it's all rapport based. And at the end, they're leaning on you because they trust you because you trust yourself, right? Yes, yeah, no, that, that, that's an interesting point. And you're right, looking at, well, I don't wanna go down this road too far, but you're, you're, you're right, looking at the million, looking at it like a million dollar PhD is, pretty accurate you know my wife now goes well people ask me for advice and i'll go hmm i think i've been through this and here's how it ended and i get calls all the time now from people that are like hey so you don't know me that well but i was asking so and so and i told them what was happening and they were like you got to talk to jordan harbinger because i shared my story on the jordan harbinger show over and over and over and on other shows and people so i'm kind of like the guy who got screwed over back in the day and ended up landing on his feet doing all these things so now people are like what was your game plan and i'm like man game plan survival <laughs> but you know 2020 hindsight it worked out really really well best thing that ever happened to me as you and i were saying before but yeah game plan was uh not starve to death and not yeah. sleep for the next two years in my bed because that's what i wanted to do at the time you know <laughs> yeah that was the plan right <laughs> exactly yeah. So, so I'm I'm curious, uh, younger Jordan, little Jordan, when when you were looking at life, what did you want to be? Um, when I was like eight, you mean, sure. or when I was like twenty? Okay. So when I was young, young, like really young, I wanted to be on the radio. So this worked out pretty well because this is even better than the radio. Um, right. And if you don't believe me, ask somebody who's got a job in radio right now, <laughs> if there is anyone you can find who still has a job in radio. Right. And um. And I also thought that maybe I would be working in intelligence possibly, but I didn't really know what that was back then. So my like kid job was be on the radio as opposed to, you know, when kids, that, that was the policeman, fireman, teacher, doctor era, right? When yeah, those yeah. are the only jobs, you know? Yeah. So that was probably like up until age 13, 14. And then I just thought, Oh my gosh, I'm really unemployable. I hope I never have to get a real job. Eventually I'll have to. Geez, I hope I figure out what my passion is or whatever your kids were calling it, right? Because it was just kind of like, oh my God, I hope I don't have to get a boring job. But I, you, when you're in high school, you still, you're a little bit expanded beyond doctor, lawyer, army, police, fire, nurse, doctor, whatever it is. But you don't know that many other things other than what your parents do and what your friend's parents do. And even then you're not sure what the hell those people do all day. 
Right. You know, you're like, oh, my friend's dad is a judge. That sounds cool. How do I do that? Oh, well, you're a lawyer first. Uh, okay, guess I'll do that, maybe, possibly. I mean, that was, like, as much thought as I'd put into my career all the way through high school. So I always tell young people, because they're like, I just feel so lost. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I go, how old are you? And they're like, 22. And I'm like, yeah, you have 10 more years of not knowing (laughs) this, the answer to this question. So just settle in. Yeah. You know, you you, you brought up networking. And and for me, uh, navigating navigating the entrepreneur market when I was bankrupt and going through this lawsuit, my daughter was really little. So I I was in a new relationship, almost like a single parent. And I say almost because my my significant other at now she's my wife, she uh, was wasn't living with me. So, so for me, my daughter at that time was probably I think four, maybe five. And I've built a seven-figure business 100% off word-of-mouth marketing and networking. I've actually built two that way. The first one got embezzled from, and the the second one I own today. Taking her networking with me was how I killed two birds with one stone, being the working mom. So Mm -hmm. I made her business cards that said vice president of public relations. I would take her out and just tell her, I know I tell you don't talk to strangers, (laughs) but while you're here and I'm in the room, go talk to strangers. Right. (laughs) So she would hand them that card and it would have my cell phone number on it and would have my email address on it, but it would have her name and her title on it. That's funny. And then the following day, people would always call and go, I want to talk to the cute one. I don't want to talk to you. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, now, now she runs the, she's 20, uh, she'll be 21 this year. So now she runs the operations of my business. She's, she's come up from the bottom up and, and she's majoring in entrepreneurism, which is something that didn't exist for us growing up. And uh, she is someone who does know what she wants to do at a really young age, because I've, I've led her to think for herself and realize the difference between working for someone and allowing them to tell you their worth and you creating your worth. You know, that's a really good sort of distinction there because you don't think about it when you get jobs. Like my parents never said, hey, be careful. They're always going to try and underpay you, right? Mm -hmm. Because my mom was a teacher and my dad was an auto worker. So they had unions and it was like, you don't go in there negotiating anything. (laughs) Your union reps do that for you. Yeah, And it just sort of applies all over the place. And it's not like my parents taught me something that was bad. I mean, the reason I'm here is because of the work ethic and things that they instilled in me. But it, it was never something where it, the kids now, they have to figure out how to negotiate their way into jobs, create their own jobs. You know, because if you're just sitting there handing in applications, you're going to end up at Chipotle. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's usually not anyone's dream job, especially after they've graduated from college. You know, you have to sort of create value for people. And when you create more value, you you get to write your own ticket as far as salary and compensation is concerned. So that I hope that's what they're teaching kids in entrepreneurship majors at universities. Uh, I assume it's going to be a little bit of that. So it, it's just a totally different world. And it, I think a lot of what, what a lot of folks miss is you have to always be selling it, not in a salesy way, like we hinted at before, yeah. but people don't really understand that they have to sell themselves. And I remember people telling me that in college, and then I'd ask for tips or ideas on what the hell they were talking about. And they could never really go beyond that. Yeah. They were just like, make sure your resume is touched up and make sure your <laughs> tie knot is tight. And it's like, yeah, 
I didn't miss out on a million dollar legal contract from Bear Stearns because I didn't look him in the eye and have a firm handshake. Mm -hmm. I missed out on it because the other guy plays racquetball every Tuesday for the last three years with the guy who's running the deal. That's why I lost the deal. You know, I didn't, the deal was never mine. I was never in the running. I was the other guy in the room whose time they were wasting. So it looked like they gave other people a fair shake. You know, I stayed up all night making that PowerPoint for no reason. So I wanted to find out the real reasons behind all of that and it's always it always comes down to sales and sales skill sets really it, it, it almost you know people say like you've got to have the greatest product you got to have the greatest value it's true to an extent but pe- really you got like 10 15 percent leeway in either direction if not more if you can sell better than the other people and yeah. so people would be wise to remember that yeah you know it, it, it all starts with you you're the common denominator in every transaction so, you know, one of the reasons why I had asked you to be on the show, other than the fact that you are Jordan Harbinger, one of the reasons why I had asked you to be on the show was because your guest profile is absolutely phenomenal. And to me, I relate that to the pursuit of success and the pursuit of sales. And what I mean by that is, you know, most people have their their chicken list, their their list of perspective clients that they want to pursue. And, you know, Les, Les Brown wrote the forward to my first book and Les and I have become really good friends. And, and, you know, his foundational signature statement is shoot for the moon, because if you miss, at least you land among the stars. What I find working with thousands of entrepreneurs on a continual basis is they set the bar too low and they either hit it or miss. Based on your guest profile, your bar is so high that missing it wouldn't even matter because you're still landing among the stars. So how did you get into that mindset? How did you get into that framework to where you just stepped up and you shot big? I I think a lot of it comes down to looking at, well, first of all, I've been podcasting for 14 years, right? Mm -hmm. So after a while you realize when you're doing prep or when you're looking at man there's a few avenues okay so first a lot of podcasts are legitimized now and they're versions of radio shows whereas before it was just like nerds in a basement like me (laughs) so then you see that oh this guy who has a podcast he's got really big celebrities on there so that means that those people are doing podcasts okay fine the other guy's also on nbc so that helps but it it doesn't It sort of legitimizes the industry. And then there were other folks that were getting big guests and offering them to me. And then I would also say, I'd be watching a lot of regular mainstream media or listening on the radio. And when I worked at Sirius XM Satellite Radio, I'd see these A-list celebrities walking by in the hallway and I'd go, man, that person's there to do this other show. And I'd go, that show must be so popular. And then I'd go to the station manager and I'd go, man, someday we'll be big enough to have this super famous person on our show and he'd go oh your show's much bigger than that show what are you talking about i go well how come we don't have them on oh well you didn't you never talked to our show booking team you know they can book these people for you and i'm like oh so you don't need this magical unicorn set of numbers to get a lot of these people you just have to get good timing it's about good relationships no surprise networking sort of a sales thing in and of itself and then I would do prep for other interviews and I'd, I'd occasionally be listening to other radio shows or other podcasts and I'd hear that person interviewed and I'd go, I could do a much better job than this person. You know, what the hell? So then I started going for it and it's very much a 
try 30 times and get one of them situation. So that you have to kind of be comfortable with sales and rejection also. Um, And as I get better at sales, you get more comfortable with rejection as it were. And so now people will go, oh, well, how did you get so-and-so on your show? Well, I asked 15 other folks and they all said no, except Howie Mandel. And he said, sure, why not? Can you come tomorrow? And then I stayed up till 1 a.m. prepping and flew down to L.A. and did the interview. And people go, oh, wow, that's so lucky. And I'm like, yeah, it's lucky, but it's also if you're taking enough shots, you'll be fine. And I know that from being in sales for over a decade with one of my previous companies, which is I know that if I make 50 phone calls, I'm going to close some of them, but I don't know who they are and I don't really know how long it's going to take, et cetera. And so one of the reasons I think a lot of people fail is they never really learn how to, one, how to sell, and they don't take enough shots. So it's not just about taking a bajillion shots and hoping that some of them work. Mm -hmm. You also have to be kind of persuasive. I mean, there are a lot of guests that I'll pitch and I won't get an answer. And then I'll go through an agent who pitched me for someone else and I'll say, hey, I saw you manage the book for this person. Yeah, are you still in touch with their team? Yeah, they don't do many uh, media appearances. Okay, tell you what. I will have on these new authors that you have on, these two people, if you can make sure that this person gives me an honest to goodness consideration. And they're like, yeah, okay, sure, why not? And you get an introduction here and there to somebody. You do a good interview with one name that that person has on their roster and they go, oh good, you didn't embarrass me. Uh, how about this other person? And that happens all the time. You know, I've I've done interviews with comedians and they'll go, wow, that was better than I thought it was going to be. You know, I I wasn't sure if you're going to be able to really nail this one because he's a slippery character. Uh, Would you want to interview Kobe Bryant on Monday? And I was like, sure. I mean, that's a real example. It was like, wait, I just did a good interview with a comedian and now you're going to hook me up with Kobe Bryant. How does that happen? And the way it happened was he was probably booking whoever and he didn't want to get embarrassed. And I was sitting in front of him. And he heard the interview with this person and, 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 you know, that was that. And so it ends up being a sales process And the way you do that is by, you got to increase your surface area for luck, but you can't just email 10,000 people looking for a yes. You know, you also have to be persuasive and have good value to give in the other direction. You know, like you have to have a good show. You have to make sure that there's value for the person to appear on your show. You have to be able to communicate that value to the right people. There's a lot that goes into it, just as there is in any sales, but a lot of it has to do with laying the groundwork over a long period of time. That said, you know, with with podcasting, having big guests on your show, it's not that big of a deal. You need a couple to build credibility, but I see plenty of these folks that will only interview people that have, you know, 200,000 Instagram followers and their shows stink because right. it's just a bunch of people selling crap on their podcast, you right. know, a bunch of influencers. So you have to kind of be very aware. If you're going to do a good show, you have to be aware of what your audience wants because, you know, you might think that you're selling guests on coming on your show, but really you're selling the audience on continuing to listen to you, at least if you're going to make money off of, by monetizing your audience, we either through advertising or courses or consulting. Right, right. You know, uh, for me, uh, I asked the question for podcasters. I also asked it for uh, business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals, because I heard a lot of different nuggets that, that you just threw down there. First and foremost, what I heard you say was, if it can be done, then I can figure out how to do it. And, and that, that takes a, a lot of fortitude and a lot of self-trust and a lot of stickability. The, the second thing I, I heard you say 
was that no just means no with this person or no right now. And you're going to push through those no's to find a yes. And, and I, I, I'm assuming the way that, that you have gotten so good at doing what you're doing is every time you got, as you put it, rejection, I call it feedback. Every time you got rejected, you just figured out a way that didn't work so that you can do something differently next time. Is the, those are the kind of few golden nuggets I just picked up in everything you said. Is that accurate? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a, it always it's a, it's always more complicated than you can teach in like an hour long podcast, right. for example. But yeah, of course, you know, a lot of times you realize that feedback that you get is not even really anything like I've had. I've had publicists say, sorry, this person's schedule is full. And then I see him on a show that's one tenth my size right. and I go, oh, that was a lie. But then the feedback is just kind of like, maybe these people are not straightforward. And sometimes I'll ask the publicist, I'll say, hey, I thought you said the pattern was full. You know, the schedule was full. What's the deal there? And they'll go, candidly, okay, I wasn't going to tell you this, but this person knows the person who runs the network for that person. And that's why. Or that's been scheduled for a year. We tried to cancel it. Didn't want to do it because it's been scheduled for so long. The schedule is still full and it's nothing to do with you. Mm -hmm. Or they'll say, yeah, we looked at your content and this person doesn't like some of the guests you've had on and doesn't want to be associated with it and you go okay well that's fine too can't do yeah. anything about that or they just say hey i couldn't find i couldn't load the page that had your statistics on it so we decided not to go with you and you go oh okay good thing i asked might want to fix that page considering <laughs> it's affecting my business right. you know so so you're right sometimes it's feedback and you learn something but you have to also be aware that not every rejection is always feedback some because sometimes the sometimes the takeaway is this person is a disorganized a-hole and there's nothing you can do about it um <laughs> and that seems to happen a lot in publicity and in hollywood scenes as well which is why i don't focus on celebrities on the jordan harbinger show yes i just had matthew mcconaughey and i had kobe bryant last year um but like you i don't focus on that because the that world is kind of it's icky Right. And there's a lot of horse trading that goes on. And right. I'm always putting the audience first, just like you as a salesperson should always put your your clients first, your customers first, because those are the people that really matter. And for me, I really focus on I need a great story. I need great expertise. I need great lessons and great takeaways. I don't need great Instagram photos with a basketball player in my apartment. You know, I just don't care. And so it's been kind of that's been kind of a learning journey as well. It's like the more I focus on myself and my ego, it's like marketing becomes easier, but that is less fulfilling. And then my current audience thinks I'm a turd. So I kind of, I kind of just decided, Hey, what, what if I just focus on what's best for the audience? Mm -hmm. And then suddenly the fan base is sticky and sharing wildly. And it's a lot easier to book guests because I don't need to book a Howie Mandel every week. I can book somebody who's just a really fascinating character. So that's made my life a lot easier. And it does come down to clarity, right? Like, what do you want? And if in that's why whenever I'm doing any coaching or consulting, which is rare, I always try and get down to it because a lot of people will never tell you that they just want to be influencers or famous or feel good about themselves. But if you can get them to be honest about that, they can either decide if that's really what they want. And if so, they can go for it. But what you don't want to do is go, I just want to build a nice business where I can spend time with my kids when really you want to be rich so you can rub it in other people's faces because then you won't achieve either of those things, right? Right. 
right? Everything has to do with intention, uh -huh. with, which actually flips me over to, to the reason why I brought this topic up to begin with. You know, I, based on the fact that, that we're at the heart or the tail end of this pandemic and, you know, you and I live in California, we're still locked into the stay safe at home orders and, and you know, everything's surging. I, I say all that to say, Corporate America has learned that the conventional way they did business is shifting. And in order for them to be in business, stay in business, they've realized they don't need the brick and mortar. And they've realized that they can do a hell of a lot more with a hell of a lot less. And if for an employee, it's a laptop, a cell phone, and a Zoom account. Yeah. So, so I, I, you know, a lot of people have been impacted by the pandemic and by the stay-at-home stay orders and being furloughed and being laid off and businesses closing. There's going to come a point where people are going to start waking up going, I can't survive like this. Mm -hmm. I've, I've got to be responsible for generating my own revenue. And I think we're going to see this emergence of entrepreneurism in a very strong way, similar to what we did after 9-11, and maybe in a bigger, on a bigger scale. What advice can you give these people who are realizing that they need to take control over their fiscal destiny because the job market has shifted, is shifting, and will shift bigger? Yeah, you know, that's a... That's a good point. We're probably because we see a rise in and not that these two things are always linked, but you see a rise in scams, right? Because people are more desperate. Not everyone's going to turn to scams. People who give up quickly and don't save money and are shady turn to scams. So so that's kind of like what we see now that's going up faster. But of course, you're going to see plenty of people who go, man, I'm really sick of this business that I'm working in. I loved the people, but now I only see them on Zoom. Uh, the management has failed to pivot. Things are going down slowly or just I need a change of pace and I can't really go interview anywhere else. You're going to see a lot more people who go, you know, I'm kind of look at me. I can work from home. I can manage my own time. I do have expertise and you're going to get people who I predict are going to. And this is I wouldn't say this is great advice advice, but it's sort of I guess it's advice. You're going to see people who want to double dip and they go. Okay, normally, if I got to commute every day to your office, I can't have a second job. But if I want to freelance, you won't have any idea what I'm doing because we're all working from home in our crocs, you know? So I'm going, I would recommend people slowly dip their toes in the freelance waters with anything. Doesn't even have to be related to the job you're doing now. Mm -hmm. And just, just get your mind around generating your own revenue and find out that it's not impossible because if you're anything like me i was like starting your own business i don't that's not something people like me do i'm not a business owner because when i grew up in michigan it was like people who owned their own business they just owned restaurants and then you know a friend's dad might have had like a dental practice there was nobody who started a business that I knew that wasn't something that you already knew exactly what they did because it was client facing. So I never thought that I would be a business owner. And the way that I started off was I was giving free advice on the podcast, the podcast that later turned into the Jordan Harbinger show, you know, in, in 2006, 2007. And somebody said, can I learn from you on the phone? And I was like, yeah, 50 bucks an hour. 
And then I was overwhelmed with requests and I was like, I'm going to charge a hundred dollars an hour. Yeah. So I started charging a hundred dollars an hour. And then people were like, can I fly out there and meet you? And I was like, sure, but it's $200 an hour. And they were like, great, I'll take eight hours and I'll just get a hotel. And I was like, holy crap. So people basically had to shove money in my direction in order for me to realize that I had any sort of viable skill that was worth anything. Mm -hmm. And people need to come to that realization because if you start off and you go, all right, I'm a consultant now and I consult for money, you might go, uh-oh, this is really slow, it's really hard, people are asking me for pitch decks, I don't have that, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. But if you just slowly start offering what you have to others and you say, look, this is, I, I do this normally for Procter & Gamble, but I would love to give the once over to your new project and we'll, I, how about 40 bucks an hour, we'll cap it at $400 and I'll spend Saturday afternoon doing it. How does that sound? And you start to slowly realize like, wait a minute, I can not only do this, but I can scale it. And then as you scale it, you shouldn't be quitting your normal day job if you have a choice until you, your personal time is the only factor that can't scale. So what a lot of people are doing, they're looking at some guy on Instagram and they're like, yeah, he says go all in. So they're quitting their job and then they're finding out like, dang, it's really hard to replace my $80,000 a year income mm -hmm. with freelance work. So they're screwed. And these fake online gurus, one, they don't care if you're screwed. And two, even if they did, great. Now you're beholden to them because they're the one person who's selling you the idea that they have the secret. So now you're in their inner, inner circle for 25K a year, right? It's a ripoff and it's a scam a lot of the time. So you have to be very careful. If you slowly scale up and then you've got, oh man, somebody's got to email out all these pitch decks and make sure that they've got them, hire an assistant. Mm -hmm. And then, oh man, making the graphics is taking me a while. Hire a designer to do that for you. You can still have your full-time job and you can outsource a bunch of your side hustle and then when it's like, okay, it no longer makes economic sense for me to have this full-time job. I'm either gonna make 80 grand a year doing my full-time job, or I'm gonna make maybe around 80 to 100 along with outsourcing all the stuff that I hate doing in my side hustle. Why don't I just put in my two weeks? That's what you should be doing. It should be a pure, almost purely economic decision, or maybe you're taking a, a slight pay bump or even a good pay bump, but you're able to survive and you're enjoying it a lot more running your own business. Don't do that whole thing where you're like, I'm gonna jump off the side of the mountain and hope I build an airplane on the way down. That works for VC funded startups because you're 23 and you have $13 million from venture capitalists and if you lose it, oh well, you go back to college. This is not how you do things with a career. you know. So I always tell people, dip your toes in the water and get your bearings because if your freelance business fails or you got two clients and it turned out you just got lucky and you don't get shit for another four months, you still have your day job. You don't have to stay up till 4 a.m. sweating about paying the mortgage, right? And so I never advise people to go all the way in. I think dip your toes in the water, get some skills under your belt, outsource anything you can, and then and only then should you be quitting and starting your own business. The jump in with both feet strategy is generally not advisable. I'm sure there are exceptions, but I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. For for me, uh, I don't really feel like I jumped into entrepreneurism. I think I uh, was pushed into it for the Usually. sheer fact. Yeah. yeah. I, I I mean, you know, you, you and I talked to that that I was in the army for for several years, and then from there, 
when I got out of the army, I, I got a job and I started making $6 an hour. And within a year I was making six figures. And then I hopped the fence from being a buyer and a purchasing manager to sales and sales management. From there, I, I went from making, what was it? I think my base salary was 25,000 plus commission. And I think my commission was 6% gross profit. And I took that job to then on a bad year, I made about 300,000 on a good year. I made between 500 and 600,000 Yeah. and flying 200,000 miles a year, being in the air on nine 11, supposing to be on flight 11 and then getting redirected the night before to terminate someone. When I got laid off on December 10th, I didn't realize how certifiably unemployable I was. You know, the high tech industry took such a crash because of nine 11 that every interview I went on, I was sought after the entire time I was employed. And every interview I went into, I was mm -hmm. still wanted, but at a different level now. Now they were offering me in a year what I used to make in a month. And I realized, and you and I had this conversation offline, I realized if I can't make that much money on my own, I was never worth it to begin with. And it became this realization that Everything is about expectations management. Whether you can transition into it and control your destiny or whether or not you're pushed into it face first and fall into it, either way, you control your destiny. And it's a matter of, of managing those expectations. Don't jump off of something and land in an opportunity and just assume you're going to make half a million dollars a year because you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, and you're a salesperson. Go into it with the diligence to know you do control your destiny and your productivity is going to be a direct result of what it is you earn. Yeah, that's very true. And I think people who are in sales also typically have a little bit of a head start, actually a pretty big advantage mm -hmm. in going entrepreneur because you're used to eating what you kill, first of all, because your base salary is poverty level wages and yeah. you're you are spending 200,000 miles in, or whatever a year in the air with your butt forming into the shape of an economy seat or whatever you know first or a business class, class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah in your case business or first class seat but still like there's that's kind of like the world's tallest midget okay it's still an uncomfortable seat in an airplane right? with a tiny bathroom right so yep. like you know you're not doing that to make 25k a year and so a lot of folks i think one of the biggest problems with people going into their own business is learning how to sell takes so long mm -hmm. and you're used to somebody coming in for your day job and going here are the tps reports you know make sure these are done by the end of the week and and get your presentation together when you're a salesperson they go why are you in the office uh-oh what's wrong okay oh you need a you need an extension of your expense account because you're going to Singapore and it's more expensive there. Okay. Like those are the things that you're handling. Everything else is just get them to sign on the line, which is dotted. And I don't really care how you do it as long as it's legal. Right. right. And so those people typically have a, a little bit of an advantage going into entrepreneurship because they're, they're used to the idea that there's no check coming on Friday, unless you make somebody else give you a check on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that's another reason I recommend people dip their toes in the water because they'll go, hey, I can do this for you. And someone will go, oh, great. I'd love to. And they go, great. This deal is good as closed. And us salespeople go, this is nothing. This could even be a no. 
from somebody who doesn't want to say no. Mm -hmm. So follow up, get the commitment, get them to sign, get them to pay. Then you can celebrate about how easy it is to generate business. And, and you know, it took me months and months to learn that and realize that like somebody can say yes and then just not answer your phone calls for 18 months. Right. So right. solid advice that, that that's, that's solid advice. So, so, so Jordan, I, I know you've coached in the past. I'm, I'm not sure if you still coach, but, but I know you've coached in the past. What have you personally been coached? Have you had a coach? And if so, what has it done through your journey of achieving the levels of success that you have? Sure. I mean, I didn't have, I've had formal coaches for a lot of different things, you know, from mm -hmm. Chinese language to voice. But when I was doing sales, I did not have a coach. Um, I did have a lot of audio tapes and courses from these old school guys whose examples were all like when I was selling typewriters for American typewriter company, right. you know, like those Tommy Hopkins cassette tapes yeah. that you're listening yeah. to in your car. When I had that stuff. That. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Every salesperson has. And those are still some of the best sales techniques around and like the the like these zig ziglar type you know like motivational stuff and if you ever wonder where why motivational stuff was invented it's because there's a salesperson on the 101 at four o'clock in the morning trying to stay awake on the way to their next meeting or something and they're putting that thing in so that they don't drive off the road deliberately because it's such a painful experience sometimes but like a lot of these i learned a lot of from those sales guys and i also asked some people who are selling things like paper and chemicals. And I'd say, hey, what do I do when this person says yes? And then they flake on this. I mean, how do I get And he goes, are you texting them to reconfirm the meetings in the morning? And I go, no. And it's like, do that. And then I'd figure out a way to automate that, you know, and then it's like, oh, what about these people that pretend that they didn't know that this was happening? Oh, you got to make sure that the week before you're making sure it's still on their calendar. You know, you pick up all these little kind of details from other folks. And I guess now they probably call it mentorship in some ways, but I wish that there was the, I wish there were coaches really easily accessible back then. There wasn't someone you could Google that was sales coach. You know, you'd Google sales coach in 2007 and you'd come up with like, have your multi-billion dollar company hire all our multi-million dollar company for a mere $300,000 a week to come train your sales team. And I was like, uh, I just want to talk on the phone with somebody who knows what they're doing. And they're like, yeah, we don't do that. You need, you know, you need, we're a government contractor or something, you know, you know, you need to apply and blah, blah, blah. And I'd go, I'm 27. Uh, I have like $300 a week in disposable income there. You know, there was nobody like that back then, you know, to help me. I, I, I agree. When when I got out of the army, you know, I, I played all army softball and all and all army basketball. So for me, I knew coaches were important. And one of the first pieces of advice I was given was hire an executive coach. That way you'll climb the corporate ladder quick. And I did. And and for me, I've surrounded myself with coaches in every area of my life and and life just keeps getting even better. That that was why I asked that that question because Success doesn't happen by accident. Success is designed, success is implemented, and then success is achieved. And then it's continually earned on a daily basis by your philosophy of show up for your listener. In other words, show up for your client. It's not about you. It's always about them. And I love that, that, that you have touched on that multiple times. Well, you know, I'm trying to be realistic because I think 
it's really easy for people to get FOMO. It's really easy for people to think that they have to figure it out for themselves. It's really easy for people to think they have to quit their job and go all in and just, it just results in way more stress. You know, trying to figure everything out on your own, stressful. Mm -hmm. Quitting your job and realizing that you only have 90 days of runway and you're gonna need nine months to figure something out, stress. You know, so I try and sort of keep it real because Otherwise, I'm just contributing to the problem of fewer people having the guts to strike out on their own and write their own ticket. And that's kind of not really serving people that well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So Jordan, I want to be really respectful of your time. So I have a few more questions that I'd like to ask. First and foremost is the signature question of the show. What does selling without selling mean to you? Selling without, I mean, easily enough, I think it's what we talked about in the very beginning where it's, it, look, it's about connections, rapport, showing somebody that you're trustworthy, creating a real connection with somebody as opposed to trying to find out ways to slickly talk around their objections. Yeah. Um, and that's, objection handling and all that stuff has its place, but it's kind of yellow belt, you know? And it's, it's like confirming someone's appointment via text is kind of yellow belt, mm -hmm. but having somebody not flake in the first place because they like you and they actually want to meet up and talk with you. That's sort of the Zen master ninja stuff, right? Where people go like, man, you're keeping 100% of your appointments? How? And I go, well, I have them at a racquetball court. And so people show up even when they don't want the stinking product because they want to play racquetball. And that's why people are always buying from me. Or, you know, like, how do you get all these people to to sign up for your meetings? Well, I, I don't treat them like crap. I never lie to them and they like me. And it's like, that's the magic, right? And it's not that hard. Yeah. It just takes longer. And there's no trick you can learn in an Instagram TV video that shows you how to do it. Yeah, so that's selling without selling. I, when I was in sales, the peak of my sort of skill, I never felt like I had to trick somebody or push somebody into signing. It was kind of like, Hey, how you doing? Catch up, talk, chat, figure out what their problems were, tell them honestly whether or not we could help them. And then after a while, they were like, so when do I send you the money? And I was like, ah, we can do it now if you want. I'll just take your deposit. And they're like, great. Right. You know, and and so when I, if, it's funny because my business partners, uh, they later hired a bunch of salespeople because they were like, well, if Jordan's making this, f five salespeople will make 5X the money. And it was like, they'd close one person every 90 days and I'd close like, one person every two days and they're like oh it's almost like and i remember saying to them yeah it's almost like there's a skill set right <laughs> you know it's almost, it's almost like not everyone can just do this after hiring them from folding towels at equinox yeah. um so in what's funny about sales is as you know it's anyone can do it but it looks like the kind of thing that you can't teach but yeah. it's it's like infinitely teachable and learnable it absolutely is. It, it, it really has to do with, with what's between your ears. It mm -hmm. has to do with the program that's running in the background. I like to refer to it as the itty bitty shitty committee. It either works with you or works against you. Yeah. And then how you show up, if you're showing up about you and in desperation and needing to make the close, it, it just doesn't happen. You know, it's funny when I won all my sales awards, when I've closed my highest sales numbers, when I've made or generated the most money it's because i've helped the most people i've met them where they are to take them where they want to go and i've never sold i have just been there to be of service sales is that easy and so welcome to the random round see i believe success leaves clues and i like to ask a question of my expert guests 
to uh, so that our listeners can extract any information that that helps them get better at their life, their business, and their success. So, Jordan, I'm I'm really curious. What does your morning routine look like? Morning routine. I get up in the morning. I play with my kid usually if he's awake. He's 18 months old. Sometimes he's still sleeping, uh-huh. and and that's only going to increase as he gets older, I assume. And <laughs> and um, you know, make a little coffee. I either have my trainer in the morning or I have a Mandarin Chinese lesson. So mm-hmm. I I do something that either turns on my brain or my body. Usually, I don't have time for both. Right. But one usually begets the other, and. What else? That's pretty, I mean, that's basically it. I don't have one of those like jump into my cold plunge pool and smoke ayahuasca. <laughs> you know, I don't have that thing. <laughs> so why Mandarin? Any reason? Um, It was really, I knew it would be really hard. Mm. Um, and also I already spoke German, Spanish, uh, bad Spanish and Serbo-Croatian. And people were like, oh yeah, but you don't speak any hard languages. And I was like, let me just find the hardest one that's the most useful and see if I can do it and see if I'm good at languages or if I just picked easy ones to learn. And mm. also my wife's family speaks Mandarin, so that's helpful. But I started learning before I met her. So it doesn't really, that's not really the reason I started or anything like that. Nice. Um, and I just thought like, hey, you know, being able to talk to 1.3 billion Chinese people is kind of cool. <laughs> um, that's kind of a cool, cool way to, way to be. So yeah, that's, that's really what it is. And it's, it's tough. It's been like a eight plus year journey because I can read and write too, which is not, I mean, it's as hard as you think it is. You know, it's, it's definitely tricky. Yeah. You know, spending a year in Korea and, and I know that, that you've toured in in Northern Korea, I was stationed in Dongdaejeon at at Camp Casey. So, so I, I learned a little bit of Korean. That's tough too. It is, you know, it, it was enough to get laid, get lost, get a cigarette, get drunk. Um, I had an ajama who took care of me. So it was it, it was a phenomenal time. And I think you've just kind of stimulated me to, to start uh, provoking and challenging my brain again. I think I'm excited to get into something. I'll let you know what language I pick. <laughs> I'm curious. Yeah, Korean's a good one. It's actually easier than Chinese, but not by much, because at least Korean has an alphabet that you right. can put together. Right. And there are apps that taught, when I started learning Korean, which I didn't continue with because Mandarin was kind of absorbing me, mm-hmm. there are apps that can teach you the Korean alphabet in like two days. And then it's just vocab, uh, vocabulary, whereas Chinese, there's no alphabet. So you're just constantly memorizing symbols, which is as painful as you can imagine that kind of thing is <laughs> just rote memorization. Oh man, yeah. that, that, that's amazing. And I'm impressed that, that you like to, to, to give yourself that, that edge, that, that challenge and, and that ongoing learning because what you feed grows and what you starve dies. So, so Jordan, I, I know our guests will be interested in connecting with you, finding you, looking for you. Uh, if, if they do want to connect or follow you, how can they find you? Sure. I'm at Jordan Harbinger on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, the Jordan Harbinger show is my podcast. Look for the purple show art or jordanharbinger.com. You know, that's the website. And I've got some starter packs there for people who are like, oh, where should I start with the show? We finally made those starter packs from like, I suggest if you're interested in these topics to listen to these and these topics, listen to those. Um, Just because when you've got, you know, a thousand or whatever episodes, people just go, eh, screw it. What's for lunch? You know, they, they can't even be bothered to sift. So, right. and I get it. Right. That, that's awesome. Thanks so much. Your success is important to me. And it's also important to me to make sure that these episodes are valuable to you. I would love for you to do a few things right now. 
I'd love for you to hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. That's hop over to Instagram and follow us at Pivot Point Advantage. Second, I'd love it if you'd head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. That's head over to Facebook and join our Sell Without Selling community. We have an immense amount of interaction on both platforms. We also share different information on both platforms. So we look forward to seeing you there. Last and definitely not least, I love to chat with you, give feedback on the episodes, and find out any topics that you're interested in to help make this podcast more powerful and helpful to you achieving the success you've always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. Head over to pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. That's pivotpointadvantage.com slash talk to Stacy. Let's get a 15-minute call on the schedule. I look forward to getting to know you. Always remember this. Choice is a powerful thing, and suffering is always optional. Get out of your way so that you can get on your way so you can finally have your way. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Whether it's mastering your mindset, communication, or success, we have more ways to keep you on your journey to greatness. Be sure to visit us at pivotpointadvantage.com for exclusive online training programs, success-specific courses, and more ways to connect to Stacy directly to help you achieve the financial success you've always desired, dreamed, and deserved. That's all available on pivotpointadvantage.com.